Hi, everyone. This is Ken Fiedernick, the host of Teacher Stories. Before we get started with this episode, I want to say a few things about it. It's really about two things. Like most of our teacher stories, it's about a teacher who does something really extraordinary and about a parent who takes the time to acknowledge this teacher's commitment to her son. It's also about something else. It's about mental health and the struggles so many young people are facing today. Struggles that affect their schoolwork, their relationships with friends and family, and the quality of their own lives. In the 10 years leading up to the pandemic, feelings of persistent sadness and hopelessness, as well as suicidal thoughts and behaviors, increased by about 40% among young people, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The pandemic, of course, only made things worse. During the pandemic, 29% of U.S. high school students had a parent or caregiver who lost their job. 55% were emotionally abused by a parent or caregiver, and 11% were physically abused, according to the CDC. Numerous other factors like online shaming and bullying have also contributed to the crisis. But the good news is that there are steps schools can take to help address the problem. One, they can increase the number of professionals who are trained to recognize and treat students suffering from mental health issues. Too many schools across the country have virtually none of these professionals. Another step is for schools to incorporate social and emotional learning programs at all levels of the system, the kind of programs that can dramatically reduce bullying, for instance. Unfortunately, widespread efforts to promote these programs have been thwarted because social-emotional learning programs have become a new target in the culture wars in education. But I'm convinced that if parents are able to cut through the noise to see the true benefits of these programs for their children and not the myths promoted by some cultural warriors, these programs will survive and even thrive. Well, if you're interested in learning more about the mental health crisis affecting youth and what can be done to address it, you will find a number of resources for parents and educators on the webpage for this story's episode at teacherstories.org. Now let's hear the story of one teacher's amazing efforts to support one of her high school students. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Teacher Stories. I'm your host, Ken Fiedernick, and today I'm going to be speaking with Pamela Garvey. Pam is the parent of someone we're going to refer to as IP, who was recently a high school student in St. Louis and had an extraordinary English teacher named Laura Trishman during the pandemic. That was a really challenging time for students and teachers when most or all of the instruction was online and where it was nearly impossible for teachers to really connect with students and to keep them engaged in learning. Uh, after I speak with Pam, I'm going to invite Laura to join the conversation. Pam, welcome to Teacher Stories. It's, it's great to have you here. And why don't you begin by telling us a bit about the letter that you wrote to Miss Trishman? And then uh, I think I'll, because uh, it's not really long, I think I'm going to have you share it with our with our listeners. But um, 
Talk a little bit about your son and, and what sort of challenges he has been going through. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. Um, so my son, you know, early in life uh, at the age of 11, had some mental health diagnoses, which uh, we had had under control until ninth grade, about uh, three quarters of the way through ninth grade, which was exactly 12 months before COVID hit. And just the hormonal changes, the, all the new stressors of high school, um, he started to have some really, really intense struggles. And everything that we were doing in terms of therapy, all of that wasn't working. So we had to, you know, go to a doctor, try medications, try new types of therapy. And it took about 10 months of research, meeting experts, and getting on waiting lists uh, to get him to the right care he needed. And then two months in, the pandemic hit and his therapy was moved online, which for him was an absolute disaster. Um, he, uh, he really did not respond to that. He needed in-person therapy and he, and he really didn't respond to being caged in either um, or to online learning. So he, he had a huge decline then uh, with that experience and, um, you know, and just really, uh, he was at an honors magnet school, which is where Ms. Trishman uh, was his teacher. And, um, and so there was a lot of pressure at this school and he was not doing well in the online environment and with his mental health struggles was really, um, that was exacerbating the learning. The learning was exacerbating the mental health struggles, if that makes sense, or the the not learning the way he was used to learning was exacerbating his mental health struggles. So he was in really serious decline, and it, it seemed like it was just ramping up. And um, there was a lot of behaviors that were very concerning. There was a lot of suicidal ideation. Um, there was self harm, and um, it was just, and I live alone with him, or I did at the time, he now uh, lives on his own, but uh, it was just the two of us and the dog. So it was a pretty intense experience. And I was working, you know, at home as well. And there were a lot of things I was trying to do to help him in this scenario. Um, I tried because he's an only child doing things where we, we would bring one of his friends into our pod and everybody would test for COVID. Then we'd bring him, the person into our pod and, we tried moving halfway across the country um, and staying in my cousin's condo, which she had abandoned in New York. Um, tried a lot of things to sort of help him out, but uh, but none of it was really helping. And at the time, I could only do so much with his education in terms of what I could do to help him and as well as communicating with the teachers who I felt were all overloaded and overwhelmed by this system. And, um, you know, and, and it wasn't like he wanted me to like invite them all into what was going on either. So it was, it was a huge challenge. And I wasn't really sure exactly how to face the fact that like his grades were plummeting, which was not something he was used to. Um, and that intensified his stress. I wasn't sure how to best communicate with his teachers because of the, um, the nature of the situation for not only him, but for them, right? I mean, they're they're in this really intense situation as well. Um, so, um, so that's why it took so long for me to write this letter to Ms. Trishman because she was very helpful. But 
I was just a little too overwhelmed to really acknowledge anything at the time. So um, anyway, it, his therapist suggested that we really needed some school intervention. And so I reached out to Ms. Trishman first because she had sent me an email um, about missing work. Um, he was missing a whole lot of work in the class. And um, so I reached out to her and was really touched by the overwhelmingly warm, helpful, generous response from her. Um, there was a real empathy for him, for me, for the situation, uh, a clear sense of his mental health being the number one priority, um, an offer to help out with the other teachers, which was really incredible to me that there was a willingness to do that. Um, it's, it's above and beyond, of course, her own job. Um, but it's also just a very uh, strong empathetic response that really um, was appreciated. Um, empathy, not only for us, but also for the other teachers, um, an awareness, for example, that his math teacher was new to teaching. And so Ms. Trishman had thought maybe there was some way she could be helpful in, in communicating with that teacher. So it was really in a lifeline. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a really extraordinary thing if, um, for people that may forget what it's like to be a high school teacher, and then to think about what it must have been like teaching in the pandemic, Ms. Trishman, Laura, uh, probably had well over 100 students, you know, five or six periods of English, and all of it's online. And she recognizes and reaches out to you, recognizes that your son is, um, is facing some serious challenges. She's reaching out to say, how can I be helpful? And wanted to talk with other teachers, which when you think about it, uh, you know, it's one thing to to just be a teacher of 100 and maybe 80 students uh, just under normal circumstances. And then in the pandemic and teaching online and how stressful that is for teachers, but then to single out a particular student and say, I'm going to call a parent and, and see what we can do to to provide some support. So that prompted your your response to her reaching out and 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 just listening into her teaching, which you were able to do because it was online, prompted you uh, to write a letter. I, I wonder if you would be willing to read that so our listeners can hear what you said to uh, Ms. Trishman. So dear Ms. Trishman, I should have written you two years ago when my son was in your class, but overwhelmed by his struggles and a heavy workload, I failed to do so. I had a unique experience to see the many ways you are an exceptional teacher. During the early autumn of 2020, during COVID school closures, IP, his best friend and I lived in a two bedroom condo in New York City. And during your class, I sat on the other side of a small living room working. I heard how passionate, energetic, intelligent, and enthusiastic you were every morning. That is not easy to do in the virtual world. You may not know, but I teach English on the college level, so I had the unique ability to know the texts you were studying and how you helped the students dive deeply into literature in ways that coaxed it from them rather than spoon feeding it to them. I was impressed by the sophisticated assignments such as applying psychological and philosophical theories to literature. How lucky those students were to have you. They were lucky not only because you were excellent in the classroom, but also because of your empathy and compassion. 
When IP was struggling with a downward spiral of mental health, you expressed concern and immediately offered extensions and any assistance you could provide, including dropping an entire unit he missed because you didn't want him to fall perpetually behind by, quote, playing catch up all year. Your stated priority was not causing further stress to his mental health. Additionally, you reached out to me via email to acknowledge how difficult it must have been for me to witness his suffering, live with someone suffering from mental illness and problem solve while working full time. You offered to communicate with the other teachers for me so I'd have one less stressor myself. In all my years advocating for my son, you are the first and only person outside of my friends to express concern for my well-being. I doubt my son will ever tell you how much it meant to him that you are so compassionate because he only tends to share in a vulnerable way with his mental health team, his best friends, and me. I can tell you that many times he has commented on how safe he felt in your class and with your understanding. To him, it was not only that you complied with the 504 plan, he said you truly cared and were willing to go above and beyond to help him succeed during rough times. While I've found most teachers and staff compassionate, you are definitely the most extraordinary. This was especially comforting to him when a different teacher was the exact opposite. This individual praised IP until the problem started and then the individual started coming down hard on him, downgrading and nitpicking every assignment he turned in. Perhaps that person struggles, as many of us do, to recognize mental illness may be invisible to us, but the individual suffering has no more control over it than a patient with MS or diabetes. I tell you this not because I want to critique your colleague. Mental health awareness is in an infantile stage in our country, and I have no doubt she is doing her best. But I wanted to point out to you that his experience was that he was so hurt Having the safety and comfort of your class made an even larger difference because of the additional stresses in this other class. We often don't know how much we touch other people. From the interest IP had in the Freudian analysis of the book Things Fall Apart, to the deep appreciation of your compassion when he most needed it, his life is better because of you. I have no doubt there are many parents and students who have not written to you that also have better lives thanks to you. I hope that you always have love and peace in your life. And thank you so much for reading that lovely, uh, thoughtful, compassionate letter. It's um, too seldom do, uh, do we think about teachers who have made a difference for either us or for our loved ones and and actually reach out and thank teachers and so teachers as you alluded to this uh, often don't know if they've made a difference so but at this point i want to bring laura in she's been listening to you read this and she had a chance to to read this letter a couple of years ago and uh, i'm gonna take my video off and just allow the two of you to to chat a little bit so uh laura Welcome, and I'm going to leave the two of you to uh, to talk with one another for a moment here. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for those kind words. I'm like, I was tearing up with my camera off, <laughs> partly because I'm I'm so excited that that did make a difference. Um, like you said, we don't always get to know when we help people, and also just thinking about 
gosh, that was such a hard time period for everyone. I don't know anybody who had an easy time um, in the peak pandemic and going back to thinking about that is even like remembering stuff is, is hard. Like you said, like coming in with energy on Zoom every morning, it's like, you got to get yourself psyched up to sometimes. And I don't blame kids who didn't turn on their cameras because we're asking them to share their like most private space with us and we don't know what else is going on at home. But like um, trying to pour that positive energy sometimes into a screen full of black boxes uh, was really draining. Even though, like I said, totally understandable. Do not want your teacher to see your bedroom or your classmates to see your bedroom. Like I don't blame anybody for that. I wouldn't have wanted to share that space when I was in high school. So I think part of what helps me recognize struggles in other people is definitely that I've had my own struggles. So like I've gone to therapy for PTSD um, from a violent crime and I inherited, you know, fun genetics, clinical depression and anxiety and ADHD. Um, I will, I always tell people who are thinking about therapy, it's the hardest work you're ever going to do, but it is the best gift you can give your future self. Like, thank goodness, Laura, 10 years ago, worked really, really hard on PTSD therapy and it was hard and I had flashbacks and nightmares and felt like crap sometimes, but I am a much healthier person now than I was. I don't know that I'm like, nobody's perfect, but, um, now I have coping tools, which is awesome. Right. I wonder if that's part, I don't want to project this, so it's more of a question. Do you feel like that's part of the reason you're so compassionate with your students is because you've had your own struggles so you can recognize it and then can respond in ways that are comfortable for you and for them? I think so. I hope so that that's something like taking something that is a struggle for me and trying to turn it into something that makes me better and can help other people would certainly be a big goal. Um, it also, I think the way other people took care of me selflessly when I really needed it was a really powerful lesson that like grace costs you nothing. Um, like saying, go ahead and turn this in late costs me nothing or saying, I don't like the nice thing. Cause you're also an English educator is at the level that we're teaching English at secondary and higher education, they have the foundational skills, right? So to me, I guess it's really easy to decide it doesn't matter if a student shows me that they can write an essay about Lord of the Flies versus this essay about things fall apart, as long as they can engage with a work of literature in a critical analytical way, I'm thrilled. So if we need to draw, I don't remember what unit we ended up dropping, but it's like, that was the easiest call in the world to just be like, why don't we just drop that unit? Because I know you have the skills, let's just focus forward. Um, Cause again, like that costs nothing actually, Weirdly, that makes my life easier. That's a heck of a lot less grading for me. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a totally selfish reason to do it, which is not why, but it really it takes 30 seconds to mark excused, um, which is a lot less effort than meaningfully, thoughtfully grading something. <laughs> I'm Laura and Pam, uh, wonderful listening to both of you talk about this. I just want to uh, throw out a question to you, Laura. Okay. I could imagine there might be teachers listening to this conversation and even uh, a teacher like the one pan that you alluded to that wasn't the kind of teacher that worked very well for your son who say, you know, look, I've, I've got hundreds, uh, over a hundred students. And if they're not performing, if they're not turning in their assignments, I, I need to hold them accountable. I can't give them, I can't pass them or give them a, a passing grade and I need to let them know you're not you're not performing and I don't really 
have the the time or probably even the skills to respond to someone who's got serious mental health challenges. And I feel bad for them, but it's really not my job to do that. But what would you say to a teacher like that? That's such a good question. It's such a big question. So I'm trying to break it down into some like component parts. Um, I guess one thing, and I'm a very different teacher now than I was when I started when I was 22, and hopefully all teachers change throughout their careers for the better. But one thing that I've been grappling with most of my career that I think helps answer this question is that there's a lot of things that are inherently unethical, in my opinion, about traditional grade books. Like, um, and sorry, cut me off if I go on too much of a tangent here, but like, why is our grading scale zero to a hundred? Why are there 59 ways to fail a class, zero to 59%, and then only 10 ways to get an A and 10 ways to get a B? that's not fair. So like one of the modifications I made that's not related to this particular student, I did it for all my students is I don't give zeros anymore. I give 50% for missing work because that's still an F. You can't pass my class by not doing, by literally doing nothing. You would have to do something. But to me, grades should communicate accurately what a student is able to do and also give them some hope and give their grownups some hope and some clear direction on if their goal is to earn a higher grade and do better, how they could do that. And so I've tried to, over the years, make lots of changes in my teaching and grading practices to reflect that goal, if that makes sense. Um, I guess another thing that informs how I deal with students is I did lose a student to suicide. I think it was either my first or second year of teaching. I will do everything in my power to prevent going through that ever again. Um, I don't know that reaching out because it, to that particular student, if I could have individually made a difference, but gosh, if I had a time machine, I, I sure as heck would try to be that difference maker. Um, I can't imagine the grown-ups going through that or that student siblings going through that. I wouldn't obviously wish that on anyone. Um, and kind of to allude to another part of your question, um, we did have, I'm sure everywhere, we had students and teachers and staff members really struggling with their mental health during the pandemic. The pandemic was objectively miserable for all of us. I don't know anybody who had a good time. Maybe some people found out that they thrive and work from home, but um, gosh, that kicked my butt and set up some really unhealthy habits for me, for example. Um, we tended to have some mental health struggles in particular, because as Pam mentioned, we were um, this high pressure honors magnet school with top tier programs and a top ranking in the state. And so there's a lot of pressure to maintain that, um, to say we're gonna have this 100% graduation rate, but also kind of coming back to the ethics, like at what cost, right? Like, I don't know that we need 100% of our kids going to four-year colleges if it's at the cost of their mental health, go ahead and take a gap year, go ahead and do two years at, uh, to get an associate's degree and decide if you really want to go to college, go straight into the workforce that can be healthier for different kids. So, but anyway, so there had already been some tough conversations starting at our high school about um, how we could be more responsive as a staff. I really loved the administrative leadership that we had when IP was a student. Um, the the two principals and the program coordinator worked really hard counselors worked really hard to educate us and ask us tough questions to start these tough conversations about like 
is this one assignment like like a life or death issue or can you cut a kid some slack like kind of conversations like that or do you have to do late points like I don't do late points anymore because there's all kinds of reasons why somebody's project could be late right they could be primary child care provider for parents who work at night they could be suffering with a mental health issue they could be suffering with a physical health issue they could have a job where they work 40 hours a week like I've had students who put food on the table for their families and I'm not going to penalize you for a late essay when you were working 40 hours a week to keep the lights on. Um, so for me, yeah, it comes down to, I think my own mental health struggles have helped me and trying to pay forward the grace that was given to me by strangers and by people that I know quite well um, and trying to have like tough self conversations about, like I said, some of the inherently unethical things that, that exist in traditional grading and traditional schooling. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you for that really helpful uh, response. Um, Pam, I just wonder if you have a final comment or question for Laura. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm feeling inspired. I really, um, there's a very holistic approach that you are sharing, which is, is about uh, the fact that you can maintain standards without having to be focused on the rules, a rule like a deadline, for example. Um, or a minimum number of, you know, checked assignments or something like that. Um, and I think that's really, um, that's really inspiring. And what you shared about student needs, like from everything from economic issues to family issues to health issues, um, you know, that's an invisible thing. And, and people don't always want to put their, you know, dirty laundry out there, so to speak, right? They don't want everybody to know, or they don't want their heart on their sleeve. And so they often don't go. I mean, my son, is learning, still learning how to advocate for himself. And that's really not an easy thing, but he's learning how to do that. And um, I had, when my best friend in college had a severe physical disability and she refused to ever ask for anything because she said, oh, they look at me and pity me and I don't want their pity. So even though like I could pull an all-nighter and my body would just be tired, but if she pulled an all-nighter, she was in pain for at least 72 hours, but she would do it because she didn't want that pity, right? And so what you're talking about is creating a system that doesn't force a student to have to do that, to have to say, here's my problem, here's my situation and you know to be raw in that way and i think that's that's you you talked about it as ethical and i really i find that inspiring and i'm thinking oh how could i do do more of this <laughs> when i teach on the college level um because because it is it's really it's uncomfortable for people to have to to do that and you know like i don't know if you remember but when I, ip had his uh 504 plan um, we had a Zoom meeting and it was super uncomfortable for him. He's sitting next to me on the couch and then all of his teachers, principal, vice principal, um, and the nurse were all on the screen. It was, it was overwhelming to him. And I know it had to be that way because that's the only way that the principal could address what was needed. But it was still like this sort of like, uh, it felt like a spotlight to him. And at one point he was crying and I don't know if any of you could see that because he turned his head. Um, but it was just really hard for him. And you were actually the first person to speak after the principal, the first teacher to chime in. And it was great because you set a very positive, encouraging tone. And I think that was really helpful because I don't know if everybody in the room felt comfortable 
you know, how to address it. And so you, you spoke up and then you said a very positive and encouraging tone. And you said to him, I know you can do this. I've already seen that you're capable. So, you know, this is all you'll need to do in the class to prove, because the, what the principal was saying is let's focus on mastery rather than pretty much what you were talking about. Let's not focus on the numbers and every single assignment, he said, and the busy work, he said, let's focus on the mastery and, and what he shows in terms of mastery. And that was, you know, really helpful, but I think you were able to run with that and some of the other faculty sort of followed your lead then because I think it was hard for them to, you know, just, you know, figure out, oh, wait, how am I going to do that? Because it, it would be hard for me, right? You know, as you said, we're all trained in a certain way. That's how we start. I guess the other thing I wish some teachers would hear that you like sparked for me is like my life is better and easier by being flexible flexible and offering a lot of grace like I know I made that joke about well it's less grading for me which is not the primary or even like 10th reason why I try to give people grace but trying to set some of these boundaries um for kids that I think are healthy like boundaries isn't the right word but basically changing my expectations to stuff like I'm not going to do late penalties or I'm not going to do zeros etc um Kind of to your point, I think it, my goal there, and I think it works, is to make students feel safe to come to me if they have something else they need to, they want to share with me um, about what's going on with them, or their grownups can share with me what's going on with them, or they feel safer to ask for additional accommodations when they feel like they need them. Like it, I think it sets up a better relationship that's more trusting, which is really important. Like I try to like more recently, and I think this is a change that I came around to during the pandemic, um, cause that was, gosh, that was so important online. And it was so difficult is just relationships have to come first and anything you can do to put the relationship first is going to make everybody's experience in that classroom or in that workspace better. Laura, I was going to ask you how you managed to, to be mentally healthy yourself through the pandemic. And it occurs to me that one way you may have been able to do that is by recognizing the challenges that your students were facing and then choosing to put relationships first and to be empathic uh, with them. That, that rather than seeing that as an extra burden on top of everything else you're doing, it was a necessary thing to be doing. Um, so rather than adding to your burden, it actually, and, and I'm just speculating here, so I want to hear your response, but it may have been, something that enabled you to get through a really difficult period yourself by being that kind of a person, that kind of a teacher? Well, I guess first I just went, I don't know that I would have called myself healthy coping through the <laughs> um, God bless pharmaceutical medications and my therapist for being so patient with me and my friends for being so loving. Um, so sorry, I just wanted to acknowledge I was, I was mega struggling. I had some really bad work-life boundaries during work from home. Like for me, I wouldn't wish work from home on my worst enemy. It did not. Some people, that is their vibe. Like my best friend and her husband, they love it. It's perfect for them. Awesome. Not for me. Um, but yeah, putting the relationships first definitely made things easier because then there was someone to connect with. It was easier on kind of like I alluded to earlier with even with black boxes on the screen to remember there was a person on the other side of that screen and that person like I'm thinking of one of my other junior classes in IP's year um, 
they loved criminal minds. So I would like watch criminal minds and have terrible nightmares about serial killers, but like to bond with them and like finding ways to, but like, that's a silly example, but like, or like we had class playlists and I would play music for them during different parts in class, but it was music that they picked out that helped me get to know them better. But yeah, putting relationships first, like that, I, that got me through it because again, like that's what's gotten me through other tough times in my life is connecting with other people, understanding that almost all of us are struggling with something at some point, if not all the time, struggling with at least a little something. Uh, assuming that, like I said, grace is going to help, even if it's a little bit sometimes uncomfortable or inconvenient to offer it, it still costs you nothing and makes the relationship better. Yeah, yeah. And, and Pamela was thinking about what you said is that, that your son and others have a hard time sort of um, speaking up for themselves. And occurs to me that one of the things that some of the, my best teachers did was to be vulnerable themselves, to sort of model that, to say, uh, to share something personal about them, a struggle they were going through away from school, or even uh, learning something and how difficult it had been or still is, uh, is then, you know, there's just acknowledging something that all of us experience, but uh, sometimes teachers feel that they need to be you know, the model of, of they've got it figured out. They know this stuff. And if you just follow my lead, you'll get there too. But but the real story is that all of us struggle with things, with academic subjects and with relationships, with our own mental health from time to time. And if we can share that to some extent, whatever is the levels appropriate, what you feel comfortable with, with our students, uh, I think they're going to feel, and I myself felt more inclined to reveal those struggles with my classmates and my teachers if the teacher sort of set the tone to do that. Oh, I cried at least two or three times on camera during my teaching. I think one time in IP's class, there was a day where uh, I was, I think I was like trying to do something with playing a video and like sharing my screen. And it turned out that like, I don't remember what part, let's say it was the audio wasn't working for the kids and no one said anything because they were like, they were trying to be really nice and just being like, okay, maybe this is a different <laughs> without audio and trying to be like, <laughs> and I just, I got so frustrated that I cried. Like I wasn't mad at them, but I started crying and then I did try to explain. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm just, this is really hard. I'm tired. I worked really hard on this lesson and it didn't work. <laughs> but kind of to your point, I think like modeling that sometimes like being willing to be vulnerable, um, is hard because like certainly not my proudest moment crying over a video not working but um, maybe that made someone in that class feel a little bit safer to be vulnerable when they needed to be at some point <laughs> like oh adults cry too <laughs> we all get frustrated uh, uh, Pam and Laura I just want to thank both of you for being part of uh, teacher stories yeah thank you yeah, thank you both for a really good conversation that, um, like I said, I need to go get a tissue because I've been I've been tearing up here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Laura, I want to thank you for your amazing dedication through what may have been one of the most difficult times for teachers to be teaching, despite what some people that uh, don't really know what it's like to teach and made assumptions about how easy it was to simply stay home. And uh, it, it, all the teachers that I know said it. And, and and I've also uh, sort of been keeping track of the exodus from the profession. And part of it was the added stress from that period. And it's just so tragic. 
but uh, you managed to to endure that time and 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 even with the amazing levels of stress you would manage to reach out to people like IP and, and to make a huge difference in in his life I want to thank you for that and and Pam I want to express my thanks to you for reaching out and writing that wonderful letter and sharing it with Laura and now uh, you've had a chance to read it to our listeners, so lots and lots of people out there will get a chance to hear that, and and maybe it will prompt them to want to just take a moment to thank a teacher that either they have or or that perhaps their son or daughter has uh, had, uh, because it it makes a huge difference if you're on the receiving end of that to know that. And I, I see you nodding your head, Laura. Uh, it really does make a difference, and it's what keeps people going and, and says, that's why I do this. And I'm going to do it for another year and uh, continue to, to try to, to make a difference. Teacher story listeners, you can hear this story. And we have nearly 80 other teacher stories at teacherstories.org. And you'll find the teacher stories podcast on most podcasting platforms. Well, that's it for today. So long, everyone.